Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word. A lamp into our feet and a light into our path, and Lord, we just want to hear from you this morning. And so we do ask that you'd guide us, you'd lead us, you'd encourage us through the simple teaching of your word. And so have your way with us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Super important scriptures this morning. They're all super important. Somebody's telling me earlier he's reading through the book of Job. It makes me want to say, bless your heart. But they're all super important, right? Um, so, all right. So Hebrews chapter 3, we start this morning. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to read chapters 3 and 4. Again, we opened this up with chapters 1 and 2 last week. If you weren't here, the idea is, uh, as the name implies, the book is written to Hebrews, that is Jewish Christians in the first century. And we've got to get our head around that cultural context because Jewish Christians in the first century faced their own sort of uh, challenges. And the, re- and the reality is, um, uh, not unlike uh, Christians today in America or elsewhere, but that is that they recognized that they needed a Savior. They recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was their Savior, is their Savior. They received him into their lives to, for forgiveness of sins and all that goes with that, uh, what we'd call the simple gospel message that Jesus died on a cross for me individually, as well as for all of humankind and those that would receive uh, that price that he paid for my uh, eternal sin problem was enough. And as a matter of fact, it was enough. And when he hung on a cross, he said, it is finished, meaning the price of sin has been paid. And so the Jewish Christians in that day, much like religious Christians today, kind of had this thing like, yes, I want to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And if I do that and make sure I don't eat pork and make sure I adhere to the Sabbath and make sure I circumcise all my male boys and make sure I do this and make sure I do that, then I'm in good standing with God. Now, we don't adhere to all the Jewish things necessarily, but we have our own religious baggage that we often think kind of goes along with what it means to be a Christian. And so uh, the letter to the Hebrews really is to refute that, is to say Jesus is better than all the aspects of the Old Testament Judaism, of the Old Testament religion. Jesus is better than that. It's not doesn't take away from any of that, but he actually, he said, he, I came to fulfill the law, right? So he came to fulfill, and the way uh, the writer of the Hebrews kind of describes it is the word better. Jesus is better than we read last week. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. Uh, today we'll read that he's better than Moses. Uh, and so uh, all the aspects of Old Testament Judaism, Jesus is better. Well, you might say, as some Christians say today, why don't we just unhitch the Old Testament from our Bible and just kind of live happily ever after in the New Testament because it's all about Jesus and Jesus is better than that Old Testament. I would argue that the Old Testament lays the groundwork so much so that you can't really understand the New Testament. 
You certainly can't understand biblical prophecy as we talked about. You cannot understand the vast majority of the New Testament without a healthy understanding of the Old Testament and the Old Testament system. And so if you unhitch, if you unhitch for example, the Old Testament, you've got to unhitch the, new, the, the book of Hebrews out of, your, out of your New Testament, right? Because it makes no sense. And so all that to say, any move from a simple fellowship relationship with Jesus to a works-based religion is actually, we think of that as like, like Jesus plus, right? Or like Jesus and a bonus, like Jesus and extra credit points, right? Do we kind of think of that a little bit, right? Like, okay, I get that Jesus helps me pass the test, but I'm going to get extra credit, right? I'm going to be a good boy. And the the writer of Hebrews would say, any move away from Jesus, you might think it's better, it's actually moving backwards. It's actually worse. It's actually infinitely worse. And much of the New Testament addresses this. And so uh, any move towards a works-based religion is a move backwards, away from Jesus. And so that's sort of the context last week. There at the end of chapter 2, if you pick up in verse 17, he says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins. That means like a substitute for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. So he is our merciful and faithful high priest. To the Jewish mind, the high priest is the one that stands sort of the intermediary between God and the people. He represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God. And uh, I believe 1 Timothy, 1st or 2nd Timothy, I think 1st Timothy, tells us that in our, in, in our lives as Christians, there is one God and one mediator between, the, between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ, right? We have one God, and we have one mediator, and his name is Jesus. And so, uh, with all due respect to whatever denominational backgrounds we, ha- we may have, right, there's no other mediator besides Jesus Christ. So we don't need to pray to any saint. We don't need to worship anybody but Jesus. Jesus gives us, Jesus gives us the access to the throne of God. And so, as such, he's our faithful and merciful high priest. Fair enough? So that sets the stage for us for chapter 3. Therefore, and as Nate has mentioned often on Wednesday nights, <laughs> the word therefore just seems to keep coming up, but in your mind, you're kind of like, uh, again, the book is written from a, from a sort of an Eastern literature idea, like the Eastern way of explaining things. We like uh, Western uh, thought process, like this and then this and then this, like if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. We like that kind of uh, you know, linear thought process, right? Well, to the, to the Eastern world, it's kind of like painting a tapestry. And so we'll see all these kind of different sort of uh, nuances, if you will. And it's, it may seem like there, he's going to go therefore, and then he's going to go into Moses. Well, you know, Moses hasn't come up yet, but just bear with him. Um, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So are we talking about Christians now or not? Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. We're talking about Christians. Consider the apostle and high priest 
of our confession, Jesus Christ. So he's reminding us now, this is written to holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. This is Christians. In this case, Christians from a Jewish background, but for us, we could say Christians in a religious setting, okay, uh, that we might be tempted to kind of go towards more religion. But we're Christians nonetheless. I think it's important that we keep in mind, and especially I'm going to say in the world we live in that's highly secularized, we can't expect non-Christians to think like Christians. Does that make sense? I, I'm encountering this a lot lately. It seems like, you know, we might um, encounter a non-Christian, and I think we might be more compassionate, if I can say it this way, we might be more compassionate towards non-Christians if we just remind ourselves they're not Christians. They shouldn't be expected to think, to think the way we do. Like, prayer is not an automatic solution to them in their minds. To us, absolutely it is. And to us, so we're talking about Christians. So the, the context here, we're talking about Christians. And we're talking about Christians who are being tempted, they're being pressured from their friends and family to go into more religion, like, like Jesus plus something. And we've got to be careful about that. But we're talking about Christians here. And for Christians, for us as Christians, we've got to remember that Jesus is our high priest. He says, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, that is God the Father, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Now the word house here, really think of it like household, right? The word house in, uh, in the ancient literature really sort of means like a house of people. He's not talking about a literal you know, building structure, but he's using kind of the metaphor, uh, and that's used elsewhere in Scripture in the interest of time. I won't go down that road, but just suffice to say house here means a group of people. And so Jesus is faithful uh, to God who appointed him to be the high priest, just like Moses was faithful amongst his house. What was his house? His house was those three million people that he's trying to corral for, for a long, long time, right? And... Um, and Moses, you've got to keep in mind, we're talking to Jewish Christians now. Do they have a pretty high regard for Moses? Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about uh, a rock star of Judaism, right? I mean, Abraham and Moses are pretty much the big guys, right? And so if you're, if you're communicating to a, to a Jewish Christian, you want to talk about Moses. You, if you're going to talk about Jesus is better than the prophets, Jesus is better than the angels, sooner or later you've got to say, wait a minute, is he better than Moses? And so that's where we're going today. And you've got to establish the fact that for sure he is better than Moses. And so um, the comparison that he uses here is that, you know, just like Moses was faithful in his house, right? Or his house, Moses was faithful to lead those people. Uh, Jesus is actually, this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So Jesus is not only our high priest, but he is the creator of all things. He's the creator of all people. He's the creator of us, his house. And so as such, the guy that builds a house, now we can go back to the physical metaphor. Okay, we're talking about a physical house. The guy that builds the house is greater than the house. 
Fair enough? Any kind of creation, we talk about this with, with pagan idols, right? You, you carve out a pagan idol and put it on your fireplace mantle and that's all of a sudden what you worship? No, if I create something, it's an expression of me, but I'm still greater than that, than that thing, right? If I'm an artist, which I'm not, but if I were an artist and I drew a picture of something, that would be a, an expression of sort of a part of who I am. But it's not, the, it's not the sum total of who I am, and it's certainly not uh, superior to who I am, okay? So just like the builder of the house is greater than the house, and that's the example he's using here, and uh, that Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, Jesus created us, his house. Jesus also created Moses. And he says, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And so Jesus, since Jesus is God, coming and he came in, in uh, human form, He's greater than Moses. And, in, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. So Moses was a servant of God. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. We are servants of God. Is that fair? Yeah. If we're as faithful at that as Moses was, you could say we're awesome servants of God. But we're servants. Okay? But Christ, verse but Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end so Moses was a servant in his house Jesus is a son in his house does that make sense now let's say uh, your parents were super wealthy like they had household servants anybody here grew up with household servants you wouldn't admit it would you yeah, so let's just for fun say we all have a bunch of household servants around. We'll name them Biff, right? So Biff, would you please wash my car this afternoon, right? Or whatever, right? Now, let's say uh, you got the, the servant's got a family, right? And maybe the servant's got kids. Maybe the servant's got kids the same age as your kids. Do they hang out together? Yeah, Maybe right? Galatians talks about this. Paul goes into a big thing about uh, this with Galatians. You know, when the two kids are playing together, right? I might tell my kid what to do and I might tell Biff's kid what to do, right? If I'm sort of the, the master of the house, right? And it seems like maybe there's no difference, but as they, as they come of age, clearly there's a servant and clearly there's an heir, right? So Jesus, Moses was a servant, an awesome servant. We're not taking anything away from Moses. And this is important. We're not taking anything away from the Old Testament. We're not taking anything away from Judaism. We're not taking anything away from the prophets or the angels. We're not taking anything away from Moses. But Moses was a servant. Jesus is an heir. All right? Big difference. Big difference. And we, by God's grace, Romans chapter 8, I believe, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amazing. And so, that's who we are, uh, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So, we've got to be steadfast, right? We're not saved by works, but we hold on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to the end. Therefore, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so this is, uh, you got to hang with me for a second. Everybody okay to hang with me? 
Now take a deep breath, cleansing breath, okay, and hang with me. Feel all cleansed out now? Okay, good. Make your deal. If you take a good cleansing breath and hang with me for now, I won't talk for an hour and a half. Is that fair? Raise your if you like that deal. Okay, lots of... I'm hearing it now. Everybody's breathing all of a sudden, right? Okay, so the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95, okay? Now, let me just point out a couple things. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he writes this quote down from Psalm 95. Who wrote Psalm 95? Let's read it again. Yeah, a couple of you, a couple of you are reading. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, who wrote Psalm 95? The Holy Spirit wrote Psalm 95, right? And, you know, I went back and does it say it was ascribed to David? No, it wasn't. We don't know who wrote it, but the Holy Spirit wrote it. So we do know who wrote it, much like the book of Hebrews. But he goes into this thing referring back to the lessons of the Jewish people in the desert, Okay, He says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like you did in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and they, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. So what's he talking about? Again, we've got to know our Old Testament history. What's he talking about? Well, you recall when... Um, you know, the Jewish nation, Abraham and his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and the 12 sons, uh, by a long series of events that we won't go into, wind up in the, in the nation of Egypt with all their family, okay? So they go down to Egypt, they're about 70 people, and then they multiply after a few generations, and now they're about 3 million people, and they're slaves in Egypt, and they're oppressed in Egypt, and God sends Moses to bring them out of Egypt. You recall the story, and he brought them out with those 10 plagues and brought them through the Red Sea, and then after they get out of the, across uh, the Red Sea, and they're headed up, where are they going to go? To the what? Promised land. Very good. They're going up to the promised land, right? And they're on their way to the promised land. Everything looks awesome. And by the way, how would your faith be if you just watched the, you got a front row seat for those 10 plagues? How would your faith be? You say, wow, if I saw stuff like that, man, I'd trust God for anything. Would you? It's not always like being able to see the signs and wonders that build our faith, Right? Uh, that's helpful, but that can't be the basis of, of everything, right? And so there's a long-standing history of, of people that, frankly, I think are more insightful than I am uh, that have failed in the face of having seen God work previously, okay? And I'm capable of that, and I need to, guard, I need to be careful on that one. But anyway, so they saw those 10 plagues, and then they come up, and you know the story. They got, they got this big... Uh, see in front of them and Pharaoh's army is now coming behind them, right? And they say, this is chump change for God who just took out the nation of Egypt and those 10 plagues and everything. He, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to figure out a way. Is that what they said? No. no. Hey, God, why'd you drink, why did you drag us out here so we could die here? Why couldn't we just conveniently die back home in Egypt? Are you kidding? Would you? I mean, if you were God, what would you say then? <laughs> Boom, that's it. Fresh start, right? And God sort of said that. In a, well, that was a later story. Anyway, uh, God's just so merciful and gracious, right? 
So anyway, you know the story, part the Red Sea, go up there. Now you've seen even the Red Sea parted after those, 12, uh, after those 10 plagues. And so then you go up and, and you go up to the, to the border near the south of what we saw uh, there on the map. You go up to the border uh, at Kadesh Barnea. And you say, um, you know what we need to do? We need to spy out this land. And we're going to send 12 spies up there, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to spy out the land, scope it out, develop a battle, battle plan, strategy, right? And they come back. They say, oh, it's an awesome land, right? We have to use, to carry the grapes, to carry the grapes, I've got to put a pole on my shoulder, and the guy behind me has to put the pole on his shoulder, and we straddle the grapes over the pole. That's how we carry grapes in this promised land. Is it crazy? Oh, but there's also giants. And I'm sorry, they're bigger than those Egyptians. And so I don't think God can handle this. Right? And so, as a matter of fact, I think those giants could kill us. We would be like grasshoppers in their sight. So they come back, they tell them that. Of the 12 guys, two of them are faithful, Joshua and Caleb. Ten of them are not. They're motivated by... Sounds like deer starts with an F. Fear. fear. They are motivated by fear. And what are they afraid of? Sounds like fef starts with a D. Death. They're a fear. They're a, they're a feared. Been watching too much Andy Griffith. They're a feared of death. All right. They're afraid of death. Those giants are going to kill us. So, by golly, we are not going to obey God. So what happened to them? What happened to them over the next 40 years? They died. What were they afraid of? Death. What was their uh, destiny? Death. Right? Sometimes not making a decision is actually making a decision, as we talked about earlier. Right? So, should have been a 10-day journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. It was actually a 40-year journey from the desert to the Promised Land. And what did they do during those 40 years? They wandered. They wandered in the wilderness. And here's the picture for us today. There's lots of uh, typology, if you, if you know that word. There's typology, which is really the, it's a, it's a, $3 word for an Old Testament picture that reveals sort of a, a, a New Testament or an applicable truth for us, right? And so many people would say that parting of the Red Sea, that's kind of like water baptism. God brought them through that, right? And you could, there's lots of these very interesting parallels we could draw. But let me just, I just want to draw a couple for today. Is that all right? So I believe these are all followers of God, these Jewish people by and large, Okay. They're followers of God, and yet they're wandering around in the desert, aimless, dying slowly over 40 years. Hear me now, church. Is it possible to call yourself a Christian and, in fact, be a Christian on your way to heaven with that being your ultimate destiny and yet during your remainder of your time on this earth wander around in what feels like a desert a dry and thirsty land with no direction 
no purpose, no nothing except to die slowly. Is it possible to do that as a Christian? You bet it is. You bet it is. And after 40 years, Moses dies off. Moses is a picture, if you will. Moses is a type of the Old Testament law, of religion, right? The promised land is a type, not of heaven, because when they get, to, when, when they get into the promised land, they're still going to have to fight battles. They're going to still make mistakes. They're going to still, you know, they've got to knock down some walls of Jericho, and they've got to deal with sin in the camp, and they've got things they've got to do, and they make a couple of mistakes. But by and large... As you read the book of Joshua, you see victory, 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 right? And it almost seems like God's on their side, fighting their battles for them, right? Not almost, it is, right? And so you see this beautiful picture. Uh, you got the Red Sea, which many would say is a picture of water baptism, and then you got these uh, 40 years of aimlessness led by Moses, who's a picture of religion, right? Of, of, of believers in God who are insistent upon doing things their own way. Fair enough? And Moses just can't get them into... Moses, religion, just can't get those people into the promised land. Religion will never get us into abundant Christian life. Who does get us into abundant Christian life? Who got them into the promised land? Joshua. Joshua. Joshua is a Hebrew name. Its Greek translation is Jesus. Who gets us into abundant Christian living? Out of the desert and into abundant Christian living. Who gets us there? Jesus. Does, does religion, Moses, get us into there? No. Jesus and, uh, if you want further typology, the Holy Spirit, right? Because we've got to part some water again, right, to get into the promised land. What do we part? We part the Jordan River. Many people would say that's, uh, and I would agree, that that's a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You can't live in the, the abundant Christian life without the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Jesus be in our head. Right? How many, maybe us at times, how many hang out in that desert? Man, I'm like trying to figure out direction. I just don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. Do you feel like you're accomplishing anything? Do you feel like I'm accomplishing anything right now? <laughs> How far are we going, man? I'm getting my. Uh, what am I doing? I'm getting my steps in, right? I'm counting steps. I'm getting dizzy. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be a good religious boy, but I'm going nowhere, and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Why am I frustrated? Because I demand my own way, and therefore I have to fight my own battles, right? And I whine about water. And then God gives me miraculous water and I whine again. And then I'm whining about food and God rains down, literally rains down manna from heaven, which is perfectly nutritious to meet my needs. And then what do I do? I complain. Well, you know what? Back in Egypt when everything was all awesome, when we were slaves, you know, we had meat back there in Egypt. 
What's God do? He rains down quail. So many of them that he's like, it's one of my favorite Bible stories. We won't go there uh, too far. Just enough for me to have a little fun. He says, you want meat? I'll give you meat. He brought so much meat that he who gathered the least, I believe, gathered 10 homers, which I always love to go back and do the math, which I didn't do this morning. And it's like 350 bushels or something. The guy that ate the least ate like 350 bushels, and it came out his nose. Now, there's a Bible story for you, right? Whine, complain, insist on my own way, going nowhere in the desert. Who wants to live like that? Nobody. So, the writer, the, the Holy Spirit, during the writer of the Hebrews, or the Psalms time, said, you know what? Take that lesson from the Jewish people in the desert. And today, if you hear his voice, this is at the writing of, of Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, don't do it like they did. And now, you fast forward a little bit farther, the writer of the Hebrews says, hey, you know, that word today still stands. Right? So today, referring back to the time of the Hebrews and uh, now to the time of, of the writing of Psalms, hundreds of years later, the psalmist wrote, hey, today, you know what? When you hear the voice of the Lord, right, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, right? A dark time of Jewish history. That was in the days of Psalm 95. And in the days of Hebrews chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you know what applied? That word today that applied in the writing of Psalm 95 applies today. The writing of the, of the, the writer of Hebrews, first century AD, right? Because what's the word today? What is to, when does today become an irrelevant word? Well, yesterday, however that works, right? When, today's uh, October the 15th, right? Tomorrow we're going to call it, uh, tomorrow we're going to wake up and it's going to be October 16th. What, are we gonna, what, are we gonna, what, what word are we going to use to describe October 16th? Tomorrow. Monday. <laughs> if I had a dart gun, if I had a dart gun, he'd be laying over right now. We, yeah, we'll call it Monday. What, are we, what else are we going to call it? I still got my laser pointer. What else are we going to call it? We're going to call it Today. What are we going to call October 15th? We're going to call it yesterday. Wait a minute, it's today. Right? When does the word today become irrelevant? Never. So, the time in the desert, they shouldn't have hardened their hearts as in the re uh, during that rebellion. The time of the writing of Psalm 95, he said, hey, take that lesson because it's today. The time of the first century AD, the writer of the book of Hebrews, says, hey, take that lesson from Psalm 95 from the time in the desert because it's still today. Guess what? October 15th is today. This lesson still applies to us. Fair enough? So that's all what he's talking about. And let me tell you this. Today, I don't want to live in the desert. Today, I don't want to live in the desert. And here's the warning for us. It's possible. Well, how do you live in the desert as a Christian? Well, demand your own way. Be motivated by fear. Decide that 
you're going to do it your way. Listen to those who have also decided that, right? I mean, this was a contagiously bad report. The ten spies came in. Scripture tells us that night all of the camp complained. The bad attitude of those ten spies. And by the way, they started to, to kill Joshua and Caleb. So sometimes stand, taking a stand has some risk as well. So they started to kill Joshua and Caleb. God spared them. But right that night, this bad attitude spread from 10 people to about 3 million. Be careful. Be careful. Bad attitudes are very contagious. So why did they die in the wilderness? Rebellion. Why did they rebel? Fear. Sometimes we rebel because of pride. Sometimes just wanting to live for ourselves. But sometimes it's fear. We've got to be careful. Verse 12. Beware, brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so uh, the lessons from the desert is that unbelief causes us to depart from the living God. That's a scary place to be. God's will is the safest place to be. If God tells you to go up and take out the giants, can I tell you this? That might be a little scary. What you ought to be more afraid of is not taking out the giants. Right? And so that's okay. That, we'll call that a healthy fear right? Not all fear is the same, but we're going to call that a healthy fear, right? Being in the midst of God's will is the perfect, safest place to be, and we should all hang there. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. So here again, he's saying, as long as it's called today, that's when you should exhort one another, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so again, he's reiterating this is called today. That's when we have to to obey the Lord. And also keep in mind, sin is deceitful. It makes our hearts hard. Sin is deceitful. It makes our hearts hard. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of the, our confidence steadfast to the end. Steadfast to the end. So notice here the, this sort of repetition, right? We got to today, if we... Uh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Steadfast to the end. We got to stand like this as long as it's called today. Tomorrow it's going to be called today. Right? October the 17th, right? Drew's going to call it Tuesday. I'm going to call it today. <laughs> right? Yeah. Fair enough? As long as it's called today, right, we need to be steadfast to the end. And again, in all seriousness, I'm not, I'm just a guy who tries to read the Bible and see what's going on in my life and see what's going on in the world. And I, God's never too slow. God's never too fast. But in my mind, there's an urgency. There's an urgency. Can I tell you this? At least in my life, you take this to the Lord and do what you do what what you will. But in my life, I've got no room to be sloppy. I feel like I feel like living for myself is a wasted moment. I feel like Jesus could very well be coming back soon. I feel like the world stage is pretty crazy. I'm hanging on. Right? I want to be steadfast 
to what? The end. There are so many biblical examples and frankly, contemporary examples. The people that are turning and burning for the Lord, everything's awesome. Then they get a little comfortable, get a little fat and sassy, right? If you want a character study sometime, read the book, read about Uzziah, King Uzziah, King of Judah in the Old Testament, right? Read about King Solomon, how he started out, asking the Lord for wisdom. Read about King David. I mean, the rock star of kings, right? Started out awesome. First half of his life, first half of his life, he was cooking for the Lord. Faithful, wisdom, beyond compare. Last half of his life, you know, in the spring of the year when kings go out to war, David's chilling back home. Oh, and noticing women. Are you kidding me? King David? You say, well, that would never happen to me. Don't say that. Be careful. Be careful. Take heed lest we fall. Right? And there, you know, do we lose our salvation? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's up to God. Don't think we do, right? By stumbling, right? I don't want to send that message. But all I'm saying is, I don't want to live in the desert. For our purposes today, for this, for this reading that we're reading today, I don't want to live in the desert. So I need to be steadfast to the end. Steadfast to the end. There's way too much, there's way too many examples of people that had a good start and sputtered. That's not what we want. That's not what we want. Verse 16. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out with Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not, those with, was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? So they were afraid of death. Yeah, their corpses fell in the wilderness over the next 40 years. And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Faith, Nate's pointed this out a lot on Wednesdays. Faith is obedience. It's not necessarily confidence, right? I could have faith that God will, uh, can kill the giants on my behalf. I could believe that, right? But I don't really demonstrate that belief until I carry it out, right? So it's not like, you know, even if I say, I hope God kills the giants. I'm going to step out in faith and go into that promised land. That's all, that's all we're supposed to do. We're supposed to obey, right? We're supposed to obey. Faith is obedience. It's not necessarily confidence. We think of, we think of faith sometimes as like, I got this faith that it's going to happen the way I want it to be, right? I got this faith that I have this expectation that things are going to turn out this way. No, faith is just God says it, I'm going to do it right? And James, the whole book of James basically is about, well, the second chapter primarily, is that faith is demonstrated by our works. You've heard me say before, if I, if I believe that a tornado is coming and will touch down in this room in, in 10 minutes, and I keep on talking, I don't have faith that the tornado is going to touch down in 10 minutes, right? If I, if I believe 
I could say, oh, I believe. I got faith that the tornado is going to touch down here in 10 minutes. Well, you don't care how many seconds it takes me to say that word, that one syllable word, right? You don't care. What you want to know is, he said he's got faith that a tornado is going to touch down in here in 10 minutes. I want to see how fast he gets out the door, right? And if I have faith that a tornado is going to touch down here in 10 minutes, you'll say, I didn't know he could move that fast, right? That's faith. That's faith. So they didn't enter into the promised land because of unbelief. What do you think? <laughs> you know what? I don't want to push it. And I don't want to get, and I also don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> a certain female voice who's going to cook my lunch today said, uh, that was good. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to be hungry at lunchtime. All right. I seriously don't want to push it. Chapter four is so rich. I don't want to rush through chapter four. Chapter 4 is so good. Mm. It's all right. Let it go. Chapter 4 next week. Okay? Chapter 3. It's possible to live in the desert, walking around in circles for 40 years. Walking around for cir in circles for 40 years. I've known people that have done it. Yeah. My mind goes back to this past week. Since, since I'm not doing chapter four, I'll spend the next 20 minutes re reflecting now. I'm not going to do that. We went to a uh, pastor's conference this past week, which is always uh, just, frankly, a sweet time for, for us. It's a... It's a it's, it's in many ways a reunion of, of uh, old folks that we knew uh, in church up in Indianapolis in those days and people that we've known from all over sort of in this Calvary Chapel family and all that. And, and you know, there's just something rich. There's something so rich about people that maybe you haven't seen in a while and they're still turning and burning for the Lord. There's a guy I always see there who he and I were in high school, graduated high school together. And uh, in those days, we were both way messed up, way messed up. And so we graduated from high school. Fast forward a few years, uh, we both show up in the same church. We're like, Never thought I'd see you here. Hmm. Never thought I'd see you here. That's funny. Do they play Leonard Skinner music at worship here? No, I don't think so. They did in the 80s, right? But they didn't. We did. But it's like, all of a sudden, it's like God has done a work, right? And I love that I run into this guy. And as far as I can perceive, Lord's working in his life. And it's like we can pick up like I saw him two weeks ago. Don't you love those times, right? That's people that are in the, in the promised land. You don't always bump into them every day. 
But when you do, it's fellowship. I can think of another guy that I remember, I saw him at a funeral earlier this year. We did home Bible study together. He was rocking and rolling for the Lord. Right? I run into him at this funeral. The man can't look me in the eye. He can't look me in the eye. I personally think because it's, it's like he's afraid I'm going to ask him something about his life. There's a lot of those out there. Are they going to heaven? Yeah, probably. That's up to God. But if we say, I want to be saved, but squeak around in the desert for 40 years, we're asking the wrong questions. We want abundant life, especially in this day and age that we live. Don't miss it, please. Don't demand your own way. Don't be motivated by fear. When God says do something, it doesn't have to make sense to you. Really? Are you entitled to that? Am I entitled to that? Not at all. Today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like in the rebellion. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you're so good to us. You're so good to us. You've, you have paved the way for us to live abundant Christian living. Doesn't mean it's without battles. Doesn't mean it's without trials and challenges and sin in the camp and all that kind of stuff. But it is victorious. And it's led by you. And Lord, that's who we want to be. We want to be people led by you. Empowered by your spirit. Directed by your word. Effective for your kingdom. Accomplishing your purposes in our lives. Lord, we want to be those people. Please, during those times, Lord, that we are maybe relying on religion or relying on our, our own works or what we think makes sense or what we're demanding our own way or any of that, Lord, please awaken us to that and help us to be quick to repent. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Help us to walk in that today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.